Hey everyone, this is Deadbeat Hero, and welcome to another episode of Arcade Podcast. If you are a new listener, welcome. Uh, we're happy to have you. If you have been listening for a while now, thank you for continuing to listen. I hope you had a real nice Easter holiday. Um, it's cool when we can see family and friends. Uh, I know at this time, with the lockdown, it's pretty difficult, but hey, it's nothing that we're not used to already. So hopefully with summer right around the corner, things will begin to open up again and things will return to normal again. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. Do you know? If you know, please call me directly on my uh, arcade hotline. Uh, anyway, today's episode is very awesome for me. Um, I reached out to Nicholas Platza from uh, Inoperable Gallery. Um, Nick founded Inoperable back in 2006 here in Vienna, and it was one of the first galleries in Vienna to, to showcase street art and street artists from all over the world. He later teamed up with Natalie Halgang, and together they created some of the most epic exhibitions and curated some of the most amazing walls here in Vienna. Um, walls by uh, Roa, Jana, and uh, JS. Is that how you say it? Or is it Jana and JS? Anyway. Um, also, C215, Nichos, Knarf, um, Broken Fingers. I mean, some just amazing walls that were created here in Vienna because of what they what they started and what they did. I have to say that it was it was really interesting speaking with him because um, we do have kind of a similar story. I moved from Texas to Vienna and I left behind Art Slam, which was my identity for almost 10 years. So it's really cool to see how um, he's coping with that, leaving Vienna and still continuing to keep inoperable alive. I totally could relate to, to his situation and... I don't know. It was just really cool to to hear about the beginning of an operable him with Natalie uh, making this this uh, gallery work, and we speak about all that. So it's a really cool conversation, and for many of you, it might be kind of a trip down memory lane. He really changed a lot in Vienna, I think, and for the better. And I think it's uh, it's cool to speak with him and to kind of get his take on the art scene. All right, so let's get started with this episode featuring the one and only Nick Platza. Anyway, what's up, man? How's it going? Uh, not bad, not bad. We're you know, stuck in this digital digital world now it's weird yeah true yeah it's been really really strange lately but you know i think it's it starts to grow on you after a while and um now the thought of everybody going back to normal is, is kind of weird in itself so it's, it's weird it is it is I, I i feel like we're gonna miss these days i mean i already missed like the early days when when things were really in in lockdown but i think you guys are still pretty locked down at vienna right uh, I think we're going on our, I think our fourth lockdown is going to be coming up pretty soon. It's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'm in, I'm in Florida where basically COVID doesn't exist, I mean, it exists, <laughs> but like not in the mind of the people. I mean, you, you walk around, everyone's sort of out and about it's business as usual. Yeah. I was just in the U S for Christmas and, and, um, and New Year's. I have family in, in Texas and it, uh, it also felt like really, surreal uh going through everything in vienna and then going there and you know everything was pretty much 
open. I mean, yeah. aside from wearing masks, it, you wouldn't be able to tell anything was different. Exactly. But I, I guess in a way it's kind of, I don't know, it's it's kind of good and it's it's got its good things and its bad things. I mean, obviously everybody's getting sick and, you know, it's not a good thing, but um, a lot of people don't have to give up their, you know, their businesses or, you know, they could still do events and stuff like that, which is, you know, it's scary to think of, but, you know, it's it can help a lot of people out in this kind of yeah. time, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's been crazy. Some of these stories that come out about, like, concert venues and stuff where they're just like, it's not even just about reopening a venue. It's, it's all the logistics that go into that, all the people behind it. And then, you know, musicians won't be going on tours if they can't set up, you know, 20 gigs. It doesn't make yeah. sense to hit the road if they can only do five because they're not going to make enough money to to make it worth their while. So it's kind of, you know, all the other perspective things that you don't think about. You're like, oh, man, like, how are we ever going to get back to normal on this? Right. I, yeah, I can't even imagine how it's going to be when when everything. I think summer is going to be a good good example this time to see if things can start to open up again but uh, i don't know it's going to be weird to even just go to a movie theater i think it's just it's yeah we just have to wait and see how it goes but yeah but anyway nicholas thank you so much for being on on the podcast man and taking time to to talk well my pleasure man it's, it's an honor to get reached out through to from uh from vienna so sometimes i feel like i've already been forgotten about and like uh the scene has moved on and forgotten about inoperable. So it's, it's always fun and nice to, to get somebody reaching out again. Yeah. I think you started up inoperable before my time. I moved here in 2014 and I think we yeah. met a, a couple times and, um, you know, the scene was already, you, you had already planted a bunch of seeds in the scene. And I think a lot of it, a lot of the mural work that I had seen when I moved here was, was through inoperable, you know? And so, I, in a way, like when I came in, a lot of the backdrop was was set by what you had created and stuff, you know. Mm. And, yeah, um, I think I mean, we were here. We the first exhibition I did in Vienna was in 2005, and that by January of 2006 was when I actually opened the space and had the first exhibition. Mm. Um, and at that point, there wasn't a whole lot going on. I mean, there were people doing stuff in the street, and it just had a sort of a natural element ha going on but uh there wasn't there were no real major big murals happening no festivals no gallery spaces it was just sort of like uh yeah yeah i i can imagine uh 2005 is when you opened it up when you first started with inoperable and that was like after what how long had you already been in vienna for about a year or six months or so um yeah i, mo I mean i moved to vienna so I lived in Vienna when I was a kid, and then I left mm -hmm. to the back to the states, uh, moved to Australia for a year, and then came to, to back to Vienna in the summer of 2005. Uh, mm -hmm. I think sometime around the fall of 2005, I did the first exhibition in like a little coffee shop uh, down in the first district, mm -hmm. and then by January of 2006 was the first proper like inoperable exhibition. Nice. So yeah, and I was I was young and like enthusiastic and ready to sort of take the world by storm, I guess. <laughs> and in Vienna, did you have family here or were you doing, you lived here as a kid? Uh, yeah. So my dad, uh, worked for the United Nations. So we, mm -hmm. I moved to Vienna originally when I was four years old 
um, and then stayed there until I was 13. And when I was 13, moved uh, to Providence, Rhode Island. Okay. And so then when I was about, I think it was, when I was 21, uh, when I moved back back to Vienna. And at mm-hmm. that point, my dad was still living there. My sister had also just moved back that summer. Um, mm-hmm. so I had some family, but you know, all my connections and things were from when I was a kid. And yeah, it all gone different directions. A lot of them would have gone off to college already, and so it was it was a lot about building up from scratch. So yeah, it so it was pretty weird when you got back. Totally. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, and then you started inoperable to kind of uh, to I guess to to highlight a lot of the the art that was happening at the time here, right? Yeah, I mean, basically, it was it was largely inspired by my my time. In Providence, this is where I got into graffiti. I started painting when I was 14, uh, mm-hmm. moved to New York for two years, went to Australia for one year. And it just sort of like seeing all of meeting all those artists and seeing all that energy and all that everything that was happening. And then coming to Vienna and seeing a similar energy, but not a real outlet and a space for it yeah. made me really want to create something. I just felt like, okay there is a scene and I want to be able to bring all of my friends and the artists who I admire from around the world <clears throat> and bring them, bring them to Vienna. And then I also want to be able to showcase the local Viennese scene and the Austrian scene in general mm-hmm. uh, on a sort of maybe put them, bring them up to a, like a, a wider audience or sort of a, a set them on a higher pedestal. Um, so in the beginning, it was just about, I, I was really unfocused, you know, I was, young and i was just like i'm gonna show young cool art stuff that i identify <laughs> with and yeah. it was like very quickly like realized okay i need to get a focus because i remember you know kids coming in from the 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 academy like the applied art school and the fine art school and sort of rattling off names of, of people that they were inspired by and i was like i don't know what the fuck you're talking about and these are you know <laughs> probably were well respected yeah, of course. Uh, highly regarded artist, but it's just like a whole different world. And I was just like, okay, I need to stick with what I know. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was graffiti, street art, lowbrow, tattoo, mm-hmm. skateboard, that kind of that genre and that world um, that I had been exposed to and been part of since I was 14. And so it just naturally progressed that way. And and there were no other galleries in Austria doing that at the time. So I also mm-hmm. felt like, okay, I could do something like this. And the natural, at the time, everyone was like, well, why don't you should go to Berlin or to Paris or Barcelona, one of those big cities where, you know, people are doing that and you can do that there. And I said, well, mm-hmm. why would I do that if I can, if no one's doing it in Vienna and Vienna is a major city, we need a space for that here. And so Definitely. it felt just sort of natural to be, to be able to create that space here. And then instead of competing with the other galleries in the other cities, I can be sort of another stop. So, you know, we just mm-hmm. talked about um, musicians doing concerts and like, it makes sense for them to travel if they can find enough places to go. Of and course, creating yeah. inoperable Vienna, it gives them another destination where they can be like, oh, I have like a sort of meeting point in Vienna yeah. that I can go to, so. I think that's really important for uh, street artists, graffiti artists. They kind of do, you know, they 
they want to be outside painting and they also want to explore different environments. So going on these little like European tours, for example, it's just natural for them. So for them to come through Vienna, they're going to be coming through anyway because you have like the largest area of legal walls in all of <laughs> Europe here. Uh, might as well also give them, you know, a place to show their work or give them some like legit walls that will stay up for a while. It's really oh, cool. Yeah. And back then it was, just, it was a whole different vibe. I mean, I, I, you know, some of the big international artists were just coming through and, you know, they're happy to just crash on, crash on your couch for a night or two nights or a week, whatever it ends up being. It was just such more of like a, I guess we were all younger back then and we were just excited to, it was more like that backpack backpacker mentality of like, I just have my gear with me and I'm just going to travel. I've got a Euro rail pass and just see where this adventure takes. Um, it was, it was exciting. I mean, I'm sure there's still, people doing it i'm just yeah I have, I I'm think more that, bogey now. yeah yeah i mean obviously the, some of the bigger names they have already everything set up and they come here for yep. a reason they're not they're not here for just kind of you know looking for stuff they already have something planned but there's still a lot of other artists that that come through and they're just like i'm just going to go here here and here and just start hitting up people through instagram and stuff like that and yeah which is cool that you can do that now you know it's really it's really awesome yeah so, totally so thinking back like when you first opened um, the gallery and and kind of came up with this loose concept of what you wanted to do did you did you have like some any resistance from the scene that was here at that time like in the beginning or was it pretty open like was everybody like fuck yeah somebody's doing it or or was there I mean, nothing did you notice anything at all i i mean it was it was interesting um there was definitely some feelings of like why why is this american guy doing this yeah. Um, I had a lot of like all oh, the Shais Ami uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> talk, but I, you know, my response to that was like, "Hey, you guys had a chance to do this, and you can still do it. I'm not like claiming dominance over this. You know, you, yeah. I'm just I saw the an empty void, and I'm just exactly. trying to help fill it. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I think it's just the sort of classic Austrian sort of." Right, an outsider had to come and do this and i was like you know no one no one stopped you guys from doing it um yeah and i think towards the end after the doing it for 10 years you know it it did really pick up there were other galleries opening there was the festivals happening that it really sort of it took on it's the life of its own and and uh i've, I've always said for all that that expansive time was just sort of like i'm trying to light a fire on everyone's ass you know like i want people to open spaces and I want there to be more energy around this. Like it's not always has to, it doesn't always have to be a competition. Like we can, the more things that are happening, the more the culture will thrive. It's better for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, there was, there was definitely some hesitation from people, but I think people were also really receptive and excited. I mean, uh, I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure that the way that I met Busk, was that when I was setting up my gallery space, I had just thrown like random things that I had collected over the years, whether it's magazines or, or uh, stuff that people were putting up in the streets and they gave to me as like a little token of appreciation or, you know, my window display was just full of things as I was repairing the inside space. And I remember coming home one night and this guy and his friend were standing out front and they were pointing, they were just kind of looking in the window and talking about that. I, I sort of struck up a conversation like, Hey, what's up? And they were like, what, what is this space? What, why do you have that magazine there? 
and explained that it was my friend's graffiti magazine from Australia. And then we got to talking. Turns out that was Busk. And that's how I met Busk. Cool, man. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and it's just sort of that, you know, and it, it's sort of, you know, over 10 years, we did a few exhibitions together, showed a bunch of work with him. Um, mm -hmm. And it was just sort of that, that period. And it was the same with um, a few of the artists from the local scene. It's just they came in. It was very unassuming at first. And then once they realized, like, oh, this is kind of a cool spot, like my work fits here, um, the sort of friendships blossomed from there. And then we kind of like became buddies. And uh, it's the same with like Nichos and, and uh, even even Space Invader from Paris was like out putting stickers on the front of my shop. And I was like, hey, are you are you Invader? And he's like, yes, I am the Invader. And I was like, hey, let's, let's hang out, man. Nice. So, it's, uh, this is I'm sorry, this is when the gallery was, uh, it was in the center of uh, Vienna, right? It was uh, near Burkhardtgasse or? or uh, um, Burkhardtgasse. Yeah, I mean, Burkhardtgasse. The first location was on uh, Lindengasse, which was, yeah. you know, it's a tiny little street right off of Maria Hilferstrasse, the main shopping area. And then I did, I was there for, I think, two and a half years uh, and ran it by myself. And then after that, I teamed up with uh, Natalie Helgand, who's an art historian major and and also well versed within the scene. She was together with Nichos at the time, so she knew all about the graffiti and street art scene in Vienna. Mm -hmm. um, we teamed up and then moved to the space on Burgasse, which we ran for ooh, I, I want to say maybe five years. We were in that mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually after that decided we wanted to upgrade again and that's when we moved to the sort of more prestigious looking location down by the Noshmark, yeah uh, which had like this amazing view of, out of the city and of the of the market space there yeah, it was uh, really and nice ran spot. ran that spot for a couple of years and then I think once we, we basically hit, I don't want to jump ahead of the story here or anything. I don't know what the plan is, but. Uh, no, there is no plan. You just <laughs> really, there's yeah. no plan. Cool. Um, so, you know, I think we just hit the 10 year mark and, and she had, she was, I think both of us had sort of, you know, matured in our, our tastes of art and, and decisions of where we wanted to go and mm -hmm. felt like it was a good time to, to close the chapter on, mm -hmm close the book on inoperable it's just it made sense you know it hit 10 years uh we achieved a ton of stuff um and that i think we were both felt like we were going in different directions of where we wanted to what we wanted to do and it felt like a good time to sort of you know say okay this was awesome we did we did huge things we accomplished amazing things for the city for ourselves for the gallery um and it was just like a healthy time to just say you know hey cool um, yeah. it was weird it felt like a breakup uh, <laughs> but like a very adult breakup of just being like you know what we've we've matured and like yeah I just make that adult decision and go our separate ways you know um, yeah for 10 years is a really good run and there's a lot that you guys accomplished and i, I see i mean you're still active with uh i mean it's not like the name goes away you know all the projects that i you can you continue to use the the name for other projects i see like totally right yeah, yeah i mean that's it's uh you know it's tattooed on me literally so it's <laughs> i'm kind of stuck with it for life now but yeah, uh I, I totally understand that yeah 
it's it's for me it was if inoperable it, you know it was a space um but it for me it was uh, it was just sort of became much more of that it was sort of my it became almost like my graffiti name or my my street art name that like that's what mm-hmm. people knew me as they you know i don't know how many phones i'm saved as nick inoperable inside so <laughs> it's like that's my thing um and it was weird for a while when i when we shut it down i just i felt like i was missing an arm i was sort of like what what do i do now like how do i how do yeah, i introduce myself to people um but it it i you know i continued as like it it's sort of like a, a an idea that inoperable becomes more of like this idea of, of, of just sort of a, an elevator of the community of, mm-hmm. you know, promoting the artists that I have worked with artists who I want to work with, of just trying to, it's, it's almost like a platform now that, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that's great, man. It's really, and it's really a shame that uh, like, when did you move? You moved in about 20, 2015 or you moved? Uh, yeah. Yeah. 2015 is when I, I, packed up my my belongings the end of 2015 so yeah it's a shame because it, we didn't really get to to get to know each other before while you were here and while i was here i, I kind of feel like you know um we kind of have a similar story you and i i was doing like um a live art event in texas uh it, it went for about eight and a half years and it, that's where i met nitros so i was flying artists in to san antonio to do events and um I did that for a long time. It was called Art Slam, and it was like, it was like my little my baby, you know. It was like yeah. I, I controlled everything. I, I knew how I wanted it to go, and I started very naively. Also, it was just like me and like four artists, and we would just paint on stage with music, and then it grew and grew, uh, and also got it tattooed on me eventually. And then, uh, <laughs> then when and then when I left San Antonio, I was, you know, I left that behind, and I I had thoughts about passing on the name to someone else, but in the end, it was just a good way to just just close it and I close it my own way and, and walk away. So in this aspect, I kind of feel we're, we're like kindred spirits in a way, like, kind of, <laughs> and we didn't really get to to hang out, but I'm glad that I'm able to talk to you now and, and kind of get yeah. your story about it. Well, it's also, yeah. it's always, it's, it was funny, like, you know, whenever an, an American on a similar trajectory comes to Vienna, it's a, a, the Austrians are like, Hey, you got to meet this guy. He's an American. And like, Ninety percent of the time, you meet him, and it's like it's some jock from Alabama, and you're like, I have nothing in common with this guy. <laughs> but it was just yeah, like assumes they're like, oh, American, American. You guys like Oreos and right? junk food, and you're like, I, I, I guess. <laughs> I don't actively avoid Americans here, but I have really very little uh, American friends that I know. Not that I, I don't really talk to um, to them so much so often, but yeah, I don't really know so many Americans here. I guess just kind of in the Vienna culture itself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's how, how much English do you speak with the Austrians though? Or do they all speak? Do you speak they, German they, with them or do they speak English with you? They speak English with me for the most part. I did um, go to, you know, German class and I've learned how to have conversations in German. It's not the best, you know, like I still, um, I still prefer to speak English, but yeah. Um, you know, if I have a few autokringas and I'm ready for, <laughs> for German all night, you know, but it's a, uh, I did my first uh, TV interview in German and I was very <laughs> proud about that. But in the end, they only used one sentence, but it's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, they tend to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was, it, you know, I, I don't mind. I think that they like to practice their English and, and I can, you know, uh, 
I met a girl when I moved after I moved here, and she's Austrian. Her parents only speak German, so I do get to use German quite a bit, and I watch German television, you know, Austrian television. So yeah, not that yeah, you have much of a choice. Yeah, exactly. Austria is one place that are like, we are not going to play original audio. We're we're yeah. dubbing everything. You want English? Go to CNN. The rest is exactly. All. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that was that was another thing. I got I got you know a little bit of uh, the asshole mentality from people of just being like, you know, I could speak German, but a lot of the artists I would refuse, and I'd speak English to them, mm-hmm. and I would always argue to be like, look, if you want to have a career outside of Austria, you need to practice your English. And 100%. as you said, the most of them, you know, Austria is really great in teaching English from an early age, and so a lot of them do have English, and a lot of them are excited to practice it and get better. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with a native speaker, yeah. but uh, a lot of them were were sort of like, "Yo, fuck you, man! Like, why are you coming <laughs> to my city and making me speak English?" So true. That's why yeah. I was a little worried. Also, when I started this podcast, um, you know, I want to talk to Austrian artists and people who have brought up the scene. But I know a lot of them might be intimidated to speak English on, you know, a recorded interview or not really an interview, <laughs> but a conversation. Um, but for since now it hasn't been an issue, but you know, it's something I think about. You know, as I go down the line, am I going to be able to? Are some people not going to speak to me because they they don't want to speak English? But mm-hmm. I think it's important to do the podcast in English so other people can listen to it and not feel you know that they have to know German to to hear the podcast. Because yeah, I mean, even now there's other people starting podcasts, but they're in, they're in German naturally. But you know, yeah. I try to keep it keep it this way. Yeah, and I mean, there's, there's, it's a, it's always the tough argument of like, well, this is my native tongue, and I want to speak like this, and I, I'm sure for most people, you have a better conversation. I always, what I always told people when they came to this, to the gallery to interview us, mm-hmm. I would say, do you want to do this in English or German? And they'd say, well, you know, it's up to you. And I said, well, you know, I can give you a German interview. It's going to be very basic, dumbed down answers <laughs> because that's yeah. the level of my German. If you yeah. want to have an interesting sort of intellectual discussion go for english because then i can ramble for you know as long as you want me to about topics and and, and whatever um, and they could pick but, and choose from there what they want yeah exactly but it is it's sort of as you said it's also limiting i mean german really has a limited market whereas if it's in english it's the potential is so much bigger and that's the sad reality it's like you can't really argue with that <laughs> yeah and i think uh, for the most part, I haven't really had any issues. Most most people just start speaking English to me, even if it's if they get lost on words. I don't mind speaking a little mix, you know, German mm-hmm. English. I think it's fun, you know, because sometimes I do it, you know, um, by accident. I'll just kind of throw in a a German word to describe to describe something, um, and it totally works, you know. And I think that's that's a good um, in between. I think kind of works out yeah. pretty well. So um, I guess since we were already talking about, you know the closing of the gallery. Was there a reason why you went back to the U S? Um, I mean, I guess the main reason was a love interest. Okay. I was, I, I met a, uh, a woman when I was in Miami and then, uh, we're now engaged, but I was sort of, uh, yeah, we were together and, and mm-hmm. I decided that long distance was, was over (laughs) yeah i've had enough of this um and i think also just 10 years of 
of Vienna was get, was getting to me as well. I was sort yeah. of, you know, I, Vienna will always have a place in my heart. You know, I, I haven't calculated the numbers recently, but for a long time, with the nine years I spent as a kid and the 10 years running the gallery, I had spent the majority of my life in Austria. So it, I sort of felt, even though I was an American, I was more of an Austrian than American. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the grumpy Austrians really take a toll on you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. was, Tell like, me about it, brother. I know. I, was like, I cannot handle any more sort of just miserable Austrians. And I needed to get out of it. And I, and, and the weather too. I mean, that, that, whatever it is, yeah, eight, nine winter. months of gray. Fuck, that man, you're yes, that you're stuck in it right now, man. You're in the middle of it. I know. Every year I think I can get through it just fine, but yeah, it's tough, man. It is, it is, it, it wears on you. It, it was, it was weird. It took me a long time to realize that it's what it is, is that there's no sense of waking up and that's why you mm-hmm. become so miserable. It's like, if you, there's no sense of the sun rising and then mm-hmm. setting and then at night, Yep. You lose all sense of time because all it is is this gray fog. So you just sort of, it gets a little lighter, but mm-hmm. you have that overcast, that gray overcast for all hours. Yeah. And then and it just mix, gets dark. And you mix that in with the, with the lockdown and it's been really difficult here the last Ugh. few months. Like I'm finding myself kind of, kind of losing myself a little <laughs> bit and it's, you know, um, I know it's going to pass uh, the, on the flip side of that. Um, you know, growing up in Texas, we, it was pretty much warm the whole time. I mean, aside from this a few weeks ago when they had this weird winter storm, which never happens, but yeah. Um, and here when the winter ends and, and the spring starts, it's like the city totally opens up like a flower. Like it's so <laughs> beautiful. Really. It's like, like you feel it inside like everybody feels it. it's like oh shit it's fucking coming you, know, like, <laughs> you feel it and I, I you never had this in texas it was like it was always this kind of the same weather for the most part uh-huh. it was either but here it's like you have this really down depressed winter and then when spring comes it's like it's like you know the i don't know <laughs> it's, it's you, like you appreciate feeling. it more you, yeah, it's exactly. like you, you you wait for those days everyone's just sort of counting the minutes until that mm-hmm. first beam of sunlight cracks yep. through and then they like everybody runs outside um <laughs> i always joke i don't know if you watch portlandia but there's that episode where the sort of the sun breaks through the sky in portland and like everybody comes out with like beach gear and they're like <laughs> moving to get that one little like three foot square space of like sunlight and then it goes away and they're all miserable again they're like Ooh. <laughs> yeah it's exactly like that man and so. the good thing also about Vienna is they, they really know how to use their, uh, I guess in Europe in general, they really know to, how to use their public spaces very well. So oh, know, yeah. spring, summer, fall, it's really enjoyable, enjoyable to be in the city, you know? Um, and I, I really like that, but I totally understand you. It's, um, you know, so you know where I'm coming from. I also, when I moved here, I didn't really have any idea what I was doing, you know, when I moved here also. Um, mm-hmm. And now when I first moved here it was, I was kind of welcoming the the kind of you know rudeness. I was in a like a really weird place because I had just gone through like a divorce and I was like just like in this weird bubble that I made for myself and everybody when I moved here just kind of didn't fuck with me. You know, they didn't <laughs> want to know who the fuck I was. They didn't really 
care that I was there or whatever. And this kind of helped me in a way to kind of like keep my bubble kind of secure. Yeah. <laughs> but then once I came out of that, I was like, hey, guys, what's happening? And it was, uh, you know, I, I was able to make friends, but it's it's different. You know, it's a lot different here in Vienna. And uh, it, it definitely is. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's always, one, it's been able to maintain itself as what it is. But I think mm -hmm. it's also the thing that's going to always keep it behind. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, it's, it never, the Viennese love keeping things the way it is. They don't, they don't mm -hmm. like change. Um, mm -hmm. and they don't like to sort of network and be out. I mean, the people that want to do that uh, usually end up moving and go to places like Berlin or, or Barcelona or one of the big cities that, you know, where change and all that stuff is embraced and people are excited about it. Yep. Vienna is really good about like the people who want to keep things the way it is end up sticking around and they're like, you know, keep that too cool for school mentality. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it's, it's weird, but <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, I can't say I've gotten used to it yet, but you know, it's, you know, it, yeah. for an, an American, I guess, or anybody that's coming outside, I think it's a little weird to get used to it. So. Yeah, yeah. It's tough. And, and you know, I don't want to, I don't, I don't mean to shit on the city or, or like the people or anything with that, but it's also what's great about like why it can, it, why it almost like is, it thrives on keeping outsiders out because mm -hmm. it is so hard for, you know, Americans like us to get in there and like, and understand it and be like, Oh, this, okay. I can, I can work with this. It's like, it takes a, a lot of getting used to. And like, I think only the Viennese are the ones, the only ones that can, can really thrive within that. <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean, but I'm not Don't. giving up. <laughs> not at least not yet. Not, at least not yet. Yeah. No, don't do. Don't give it up, man. Like it's worth it. It's it's if, if you can if you can crack that nut, it's uh it's yeah. worth it. So I mean that it is one of the rare, it is a it is a sort of diamond in the rough that city. Um, there's so much yeah. amazingness about it, but mm -hmm. it's really you gotta like you gotta crack that nut. Exactly. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. I'm getting there. I think I'm just six <laughs> years in, so maybe four more years, and I can see where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, four more years. We'll do another one of these podcasts, and you'll be like, Nick, I'm getting the fuck out of here. I'm going to. Texas. You got an extra like, room over there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, we'll see. So uh, let's talk about some of the, I guess, some of the menu uh, menus, the, uh, the murals <laughs> that you've done here. I mean, you you brought Roa here. Um, mm -hmm. You've you brought a lot of other artists that have done some really great murals here. I think before then there, there weren't a lot of people that were doing these big buildings, right? Like, um, yeah, no, it was small murals. Yeah. It was mainly a lot of small stuff happening. Um, you know, obviously there's big legal walls along the canal. Mm -hmm. Um, and before, before we really did any of the big walls, I think the only one that was doing them was the black river fest by Sydney. Uh, mm -hmm. and he had brought blue and they did a couple iterations where they, they did some, some legal murals and i think some of them were really sort of you know ad hoc kind of just run up and do it and see if see if you can get away with it which <laughs> is really cool yeah. um and then i think around that time is when we started also doing you know the mural festival game was was becoming really big and uh i i never i deliberately never wanted to do a festival uh, mm -hmm. It just to me, it seemed like a logistical nightmare. I also yeah. did talk to a lot of the artists, and they were saying that like what was happening with a lot of festivals is that the resources were being stretched way too thin, and mm -hmm. that you know 
from the outside, it looks great. Everyone's flying around and getting to paint these massive walls. But the reality was that, you know, the lifts were barely running. They weren't getting enough paint. If they needed supplies, they had to wait three hours until they could get a can of spray paint. Yeah. Um, they were sleeping on the floor. They were they weren't getting good food. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was just in my mind, I was thinking it makes so much more sense to to get one artist and commit all your time and resources to that one artist. Mm-hmm. And and also for us, it just made a whole lot of sense of that time, like pairing the mural with an exhibition because it's the best advertising that you can do for an exhibition. I mean, if mm-hmm. in the beginning when we were, when we were the only ones really doing these murals, every newspaper would write about it. I was trying for so long to try and get, you know, the local newspapers to write about exhibitions with these artists and they mm-hmm. just didn't care. They were like, oh, okay, whatever. It's another art show. Yeah. But when you do a big mural in the street, that's when they're like, Ooh, big international <laughs> artist is coming to paint murals. And, and, and then at the end, they'll be like, this artist is also having an exhibition at an operable from this to this date. And it's yeah. just great PR. So Hell for yeah. us, it paid off to be like, okay, we're going to fly these people in, do a show with them, but also do a mural. Um, it, it was great. It was awesome. So, um, and it was great. You know, I've, it, the, the crazy thing is when I moved to Vienna or when, when you move to any city, you think that the architecture is there, the buildings are there and you can move in and try and like open a shop or do something. And mm-hmm. there's a very small percentage that you're really going to have a bigger impact on like the the Stadtbild is what they call it in Vienna. Yeah. And in a, in a weird way, I, I had like a huge impact on the image of Vienna that yeah, definitely. we were able to like break down that door of like going to the, the, I forget which number it is, but the Emma, the Magistrat's office yeah, and like yeah, yeah. having the first conversations and being like, we want to paint murals in these areas in these districts. Yeah. Will you let us do it? And you know, typical Austrians, they were like, "Hey, geschlechtig," and like you know, <laughs> they were like, "You fucking idiot! Like, get out of my office." Right, but it yeah. took the time, and then you meet the right people in the right offices that were like, "Oh, this could be cool. Yeah, okay, I, I like this." Mm-hmm. And then yeah. now, how did, how did that come? Oh, sorry, I mean, cut you off, but like, did you go with to them with like a presentation and be like, "This is how it's done here, and this is how we can do it," or? How did you approach that? Uh, pretty much. I mean, we kind of just like walked into the office with no clue. And they're just like, listen, I have the permission from the building owner. Did they want to have a mural on the side of the building? Will you let us do it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, trying to never use the word graffiti, always use yeah. the word street art and mural. Um, yeah. That you know, if you, you just got to get the right person that's kind of isn't as bothered by this idea and isn't bothered by the extra amount of work that it's going to require, because that's the real fact. I mean, these guys, these men and women, they sit in the office, probably, I think there's still a lot to smoke in the office, um, <laughs> doing as little work as possible. And if you come in and you're going to make their day any more complicated than it, yeah. than it is, then they're going to immediately deny you. <laughs> they're just like, they don't, don't want to do anything more than yeah. they have to. They don't um, make eye contact. They just yeah. know, fill this out and get out of here. Yeah. And, you know, and it's all like legal speak. So when they talk to you, 
as as an American who's like my German is at like a very conversational level, once they start throwing big words and you know combining six words into one, I'm just like, uh, <laughs> what did you need? So it helped a lot having Nati who could, yeah. was able to speak that language and was able mm-hmm. to sort of get in, in conversations with these people and and then afterwards break it down and be like, Nick, you need to get a permission slip from this person. You need to get this, this, that, um, and then rolling with it. So that's great, man. That's a whole other thing. I think it's still as complicated. I mean, obviously now the groundwork has been laid and they already realized like, okay, more murals, you know, they know what paperwork, I guess, but, um, I haven't had to do it myself yet. But, mm-hmm. Um, I think it's still, from what I hear, it's still super complicated to get anything up you know, on the walls and stuff. Um, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they're really strict about it. And, but it's, it's fine. I mean, for me, I don't worry about it so much. I mean, all the legal walls here, it's really great. I mean, it won't stay, but you know, if you just want to paint, it's great, you know, but if you want to bring other artists and do like a co- big collab piece that you want to stay for a long time, then yeah, then you might have some issues, but cool. What was the first uh, mural that you had to actually go through and, and do that? Was that with Roa? I mean, Roa was definitely one of the, he was, he broke down a lot of barriers for us. Like having mm-hmm. a big name like him and an artist, it's, you know, it was, his work is so easily digestible to someone in like a city office. They're like, oh, yeah. it's an animal. It's black and white. Cool. <laughs> um, there's not a whole lot of, I mean, there's a lot of complexity to his work, but to them, it's yeah. just like, okay. Yeah, I don't doesn't... have to think too much about it. They're like, yeah, yeah. okay, let's see, it's an animal. It's not like yeah. anything that's too complicated. Yeah. Um, so that started, I think, I want to say one of our first walls, like a rotating wall was the one on Siebensterngasse, which mm-hmm. we were really redoing, I think, every three or four months. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we we were able to get the Bezirksvorsteher, so the guy in charge of the district, mm-hmm. on board, and he helped get us through a lot of the legal issues and the, and the, the permitting processes. Uh-huh. Um, so that was like a huge help in the beginning to have someone like him on board. Yeah. That believed in it. I mean, you know, we, the, the wall, you know, people in Austria know these things and you kind of take it for granted, but to a lot of people outside of Austria, we were painting on a building that was, I don't know the exact year, but it was probably built in like the, who knows the 1600s 1700s like these are like buildings that are hundreds and hundreds of years old yeah and here we are like oh we're gonna paint a mural on it of like <laughs> a, i think the, the roll of mural was a as a skeleton of a squirrel it's sort yeah. of like <laughs> it's kind of mind-blowing that we got away with it um yeah. and you know when broken fingers came they did mm-hmm. a whole the devil like chasing Austrians and it was, it was them coming, you know, a lot of them, it was their first time returning to, or not even them returning, but it was like their parents fled Austria mm-hmm. from the Nazis. And that when we invited them, their parents and their grandparents were like, how, how could you even fathom going back to this like hell hole? And like, wow. you know, how dare you go back and betray us? And they were like, mm-hmm. no, it's changed. And we, this is part of like the the sort of recovery and sort of the you know coming to terms with it that like that happened, but this is a new generation of people, and mm-hmm. we want to go back. 
but they still did like this running with the devil <laughs> themed mural on a building in like the middle of Vienna. Uh, yeah. It's pretty, pretty insane. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the one that's um, Nash marked on the roll downs, I think this was also, did you care this one also when they came through or was this a different one? Uh, yeah. The, they, they came through, I think twice. And mm -hmm. like the first time, I think the first time was actually part of a group show maybe. And the second time was a solo show with them. And I mean, they came through like eight artists deep. It's a, it's a big collective. And they were all staying at my place, sleeping on couches, floors, hammocks, anything. And I was just like, I didn't know you guys were all coming. Uh, <laughs> and, but it was, it was awesome time. I mean, it, it was crazy. I was sort of like after a couple of days, like, all right, how long are you guys sticking around? <laughs> and all they wanted to do was paint and it was nuts i mean they got they got arrested while they were in vienna um because wow. they, they were just like we got them a couple legal spots to paint but then they were just rocking up and painting those little bump outs they would just show yeah, up yeah. And like <laughs> cans they acted like they owned the place and <laughs> nobody messed with them they were just like yeah we're gonna paint and someone asks we said we tell them we have permission uh and uh, they just felt yeah. like they could do whatever they wanted, and I mean, exactly, just, yeah. I mean, I they said, I mean, they pulled, they pulled the the Jewish card when they got arrested. <laughs> they were like, the guy was like shouting at them, like, "How dare you think you can do this?" And they're like, "Oh fuck you, you Nazi!" Like, I'm thinking you're from <laughs> Israel, and then, and they gave them their Israeli addresses, and they never got any papers or anything like that sent in the mail. So I think maybe there was a bit of a guilt that the guy afterwards felt like, "Oh shit, yeah." <laughs> I probably shouldn't. Yeah, fucked with them. Yeah, damn, that's crazy. That's crazy. And so, what are you doing in in Miami now? Like, what do you, what's your what's your project um, that you're working on there? Yeah, so I, I, you know, I came down here. I was I was really sort of amped up at the time, seeing all of the all of the projects and the murals, and there was such a good vibe happening here for a while with Winwood. Um, mm -hmm. but Winwood's kind of taken a dump over the last couple of years it's become yeah. very commercialized a lot of the murals that are happening are sponsored um it just it's lost a lot of the energy you know it used to be it's kind of a really cool story of a neighborhood that was once uh warehouses uh, a lot of like uh, car repair and and uh, a sort of a derelict neighborhood of, of sorts like you know, a lot of people were living there, these amazing little old Bahamian houses and stuff like that. But it was a forgotten part of Miami. And then, mm -hmm. then Tony Goldman and Primary Flight came in and they were sort of curating, having almost like the beginning, like those early days of the mural festival uh, during when Art Basel was happening. And it was just sort of this natural coming together of, of the art world. And then like start having these muralists come and paint at the same time cut to whatever it is, I think almost 10 years later, it's now like gluten-free organic yogurt shops and, you know, grass-fed beef uh, substitutes. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's just sort of like all boutique shops and, and it just totally lost its charm from those early days. And it's just become another very commercialized neighborhood, uh, a lot of the, the walls that made it so enticing to paint have been mm -hmm. knocked out because the, the stores have been turned in or the warehouses have been turned into boutiques. And so yeah. naturally they want to have glass storefront. 
So they punch holes in those walls to put, you know, these big glass windows. And now you only have a small surface to paint. Oh, um, and then it's also like the early days, it was such a wild west. There was, mm-hmm. there was no real permission seeking process that, you know, you, you could just go in and ask Manny, the transmission guy, be like, yo, can I paint your wall? And he'd say, yeah, well, sure. Whatever. Do, do anything you want. And mm-hmm. now because the shops are in there, they're sort of like, well, I want something that's going to fit with my aesthetic of, you know, young millennial bohemian chic <laughs> yeah. customers. So I want to have like butterflies and patterns and, you know, all that. So it's, it's, there's still a lot of energy happening there. It's just a total shift and gone in a whole new direction. And I guess the thing that bugs me about it is that they're still trying to have or present Winwood as this edgy, underground, cool scene. Mm-hmm. And it's not. I'm just sort of like, it, this, is, this, is, this is already passed now. You're now yeah. like a commercialized. a sort of commercialized design district. Mm-hmm. And you should just go with that. <laughs> like yeah. present that as your thing. Don't try and like leech or sort of uh, suck off of this, this culture. So um, yeah, that's a shame, it's, man. It's really it shame. is a shame. Um, I mean, it's cool. There's still stuff happening. I mean, the museum of graffiti opened up in there, which is they're definitely like it's that's run by legit people from the scene and the community. And they're doing cool shows and really trying to honor that, aspect of the of the scene um mm-hmm. and there's what's what's been kind of cool and what happened this year was like with basil not happening is that the graffiti scene still comes down and they come hard yeah and so like when the muralists come through they would all fly in do the mural and then take off where <laughs> the graffiti writers come in they do their pieces and then at night they get drunk and they still got cans in their pockets or whatever and just go <laughs> bomb everything yeah. and you know the whole neighborhood now is like completely tagged up because you know stores are closing because they can't they can't maintain the the, the prices that when it gets now yeah. um the the murals are are not being looked after so it's kind of like the graffiti writers have all come back and they've completely reclaimed Winwood, which is kind of like it's a good energy to have it's sort of like yeah this is this is the origins of it all yeah it's like you have to pay respect yeah it's like when a when a building is abandoned and then all the plants and stuff start to come back and it's just like like they reclaim the the area and the territory it's it's almost like nature like the graffiti writers are the nature aspect it's like when things are left like they're going to come creeping back in and be like this is ours yeah so (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I mean, in terms of Miami, to get back to it, it's I'm I'm doing some stuff down here. I'm kind of keeping a low profile. There's also a lot of people doing managing murals and doing projects down here that I feel like you know I don't necessarily need to compete. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do. I I've secured a really awesome job as a program manager for the Avenue Concept, which is a nonprofit public art organization in my home city of Providence, Rhode Island. And I get to basically I had a bargaining chip with them of uh, I will work for you guys, but I am a snowbird and I live in Miami and I don't ever (laughs) want to do snow again. (laughs) So, yeah, (laughs) um, even pre COVID, I was able to do a remote uh, job and sort of, you know, I'd I'd FaceTime call or, or just speakerphone in 
once a week. And then during the summer months, I'd come, I'd fly up to Providence and we would arrange to do a bunch of murals. Um, And then we also have another guy on our team, Brian, who runs the sculpture program. And so, you know, we do sculpture and mural work through in the city. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's cool. Providence, to me, Providence reminds me a lot of Vienna. It's a, it's a, they have a lot of the same hurdles. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's so, it's almost like in a way I, I, maybe I thrive in that in that sort of underdog scenario. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, guys, yeah. we could do this. And you know, right, I'm sure right. I get a similar mentality from the Rhode Islanders of being like, "Fuck this out of towner." Like, uh, <laughs> you know, who's who's he think he is coming to Providence and changing, shaking things up? But I'm like, yeah, but you need it. You need like somebody right. with that outside perspective to come in and like stir stir things up a little bit. And and I do have a you know. In both cities, I get to claim that I spent some formative years, so I'm not a, a total outsider. Yeah, I so. think it's um, it, there's also about being in an environment where you see something is not there or it's lacking something that kind of um, brings the idea to your mind that you can do it, and then there's some kind of it kind of just flips a switch inside of you where you're like, okay, how can I do this? What can I do? Where do I start? And uh, when you start putting all the pieces together. And then you just put it together best you can and put it out to the world and see how it goes. But I think it, if there's a lot of it already happening, it's, it kind of, I don't know, it deters you from actually trying to pursue it because then you have kind of something to already to strive for or to compete with in a way. Yeah. So I think this is, a, this is important, I think, for people like us or people who are trying to, who are always wanting to do new events or do new things in, in places where things like that are not happening. I think you you kind of need that, that, that void there that you can kind of fill with your own stuff. And then hopefully if you're lucky, other people will come in and try to help fill that void with you in a way, um, Mm -hmm. instead of try to like dig out, (laughs) dig the hole out again. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But but yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, man. It's it's really good to hear that you're doing really well there in in Miami. Do you ever think about coming back to Vienna every once in a while and just like, like, I don't know, eating a schnitzel and then, (laughs) <laughs> oh man you don't know i think about schnitzel constantly <laughs> I, there's like there's one uh there's a there's a, like a beer house in miami there's a couple of them but there's one like legit one that's run by some austrians i've actually met a, a quite a few austrians there's like a weird contingency of them down here in miami mm-hmm. uh i know of at least three of them that live in my neighborhood um oh, and wow. so it's it's nice to sort of uh once in a while hit them up uh the one of the women that lives here she's like you know you're completely typical austrian and her english is in that typical austrian english way where yeah yeah no you know what i mean Ah." (laughs) every time i hear her i just start laughing and i like mental flashbacks to like all of those people i've had to deal with for years um Mm -hmm. but it's you know it's always nice to get those little uh, tastes of home in a way but uh right. i you know i would love to go back to to austria and uh, or to vienna especially and and you know i'd love to have a, a reason to go back of, you know obviously i'd love to go back and see everybody and and catch up you know my sister still lives there and she's got two kids and you know i only get to see oh, them nice. over facetime so yeah you know i'd love to be able to go and do that but you know I, I always sort of you know, once in a while I'll text with people and say, you know, with either with Sydney or with, you know, whoever's around and be like, man, 
I feel like I need to come back and do like a big inoperable project in Vienna just to like let people know I'm still here. Like just right. almost do like a big, yo, I'm, 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 it's not dead. It's still alive. Like I'm still around. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And it would be, you know, you know, I, I joke with, with Nichos all the time about it. Cause you know, him and I go way back. I mean, he was there back. I mean, he obviously was in doing stuff in Austria much longer than I was. Yeah. But we, we connected in those early years. I think I met him probably around the end of 2005. So it was around the time when I really opened the gallery space. Mm-hmm. And I think like most people, first time we met, he was a dick. <laughs> and everyone sort of has that same story of like, yeah, first time I met Nitros. But, uh, you know, I think I didn't let that phase me. I was like, whatever, he's a fucking local yeah. legend. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, but, you know, I think the second, third time we hung out, we, you know, totally bonded and, and, and rolled together for years. And like now it's almost like we're, we always joke about we're the to- two old timers that talk about the good old days of when we had our, our spots. And like, you know, I was doing shows with him and then he opened his own gallery. And then we were the two, uh, the two Knicks running a gallery space in Vienna. And it was, and then it was even more confusing because I was partners with his girlfriend and then yeah. they broke up and then it was sort of like which nick or what which gallery we're we talking about <laughs> like, uh, uh yeah. so you know it's it's yeah i you know I, I would absolutely love to to go back and do something and sort of maybe shake things up a little bit again and and uh, yeah. you know once in a while it's nice too you know besides the email that you sent me i'll get i still get people hitting me up about like you know uh commission jobs uh, in mm-hmm. Vienna, people you know, that I know from back in the days, reaching out, being like, "Hey, I've got this wall, or I've got a new space, or a shop. You know, do you think yeah. you could help me organize uh, to get a local artist to come paint this?" Um, yeah, yeah. And it's it's tricky sort of organizing that from over here, but uh, it's you know it's, yeah. everything's manageable nowadays online. So. Yeah, it's, yeah, definitely. It's weird how that happens. Like I, I know exactly what you mean about um, wanting to come back and just do one more like like kicking the balls and be like, yo, <laughs> I can, you know, it hasn't died. You know, it's like kind of raise, dig it out of the grave a little bit and let it uh, show what it still has, like the power that it still uh, can bring to the city. I, I, yeah. I feel that, that way a lot about uh, San Antonio and doing the art slam again. Like after a few years of being here, I was like, you know what, maybe I'll just go back and just do one show a year there. Just like one fucking kick ass, like, yeah. you know, ball busting show. And then, you know, I thought about that for a while, but um, yeah, it's kind of subsided after a while. So, uh, <laughs> the logistics behind it, and and every time I go back to to San Antonio to visit, I I I feel myself detaching a lot more from from the art scene there, just a little bit more and more. Like um, it's hard to explain, but it's uh, it's sad in a way. But you know, I still have those great memories. But there's there's when you're gone for so long, you miss so much, you know, and 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 yeah. it's constantly constantly evolving and it you know um so it's hard to keep up with that when you're so far away and you're you have your own world going on so i can imagine yeah. uh, it's the same for you yeah, yeah. totally i'm the, what i've seen is like you know I, fo- I still follow a ton of of local artists from from austria and vienna and you know mm-hmm. at least from the outside looking in it seems like the scene is 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 thriving in a way there's a bunch of new artists coming along they're doing some cool stuff um mm-hmm. I've, I've seen a lot of uh, coverage on 
sort of bigger international blogs of artists coming from Austria, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, that wasn't happening back in the days. There was it was really hard for Austrians to get any recognition because everything was everyone was so focused on, you know, the bigger countries. Um, mm-hmm. so it's great to see that there is that happening. Uh, but of course, you know, feel disconnected. I mean, I was there, I came back that summer when Wien Museum did their big sort of retrospective. Uh, the, the takeover? Yeah. And I, I, I was sort of like, oh, this is going to be great. And then it struck me. I was like, wait, no one reached out to me. Fuck you guys. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was really bummed out. And I, I reached out to the curator and I was like, hey, you know, just coincidentally, I'm in Vienna for the summer if you wanted to, you know, hit me up for like a podium discussion or, you know, I'm happy to come and be part of this. And she she was very nice. And she was like, yeah, we can meet up and have a coffee. And we chatted and then it sort of felt very clear that she was like, yeah, no, my program is set. Like I have, I don't know what you want from me. I was Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. okay. (laughs) You know, I think a lot of, there was a lot of logistics that went into that. I mean, I'm I'm not, I don't know. I, I can see that there was a lot of, uh, a lot of moving parts in that whole uh, takeover production, and yeah. it, it was really incredible what they were man- what they managed to pull off. Not actually being um, directly from the scene, you know, and what they what they were able to do. But uh, what's sad is that there probably won't be another opportunity to do something like that for a, a long time because it was such a a great space. I mean, this uh, this yeah. museum was was huge, and we could spray inside. You know, um, I don't know. Everybody was just out partying outside all the night. They, they made like a, um, you saw it, I'm sure, like a legal wall outside in yeah. the front. And yeah, it was really cool what they what they did. And I don't think it's going to be anything like that again. But um, also b- being people who organize events, also it's hard to to uh, to please everyone. But when you're trying to think about like how the scene actually started here and where the mural started, of course, uh, Inoperable was like, <laughs> the, basically the, the seed that that built everything that was here that it is now you know so yeah well, i appreciate that I mean, um and i know it's, it's it's always a hard task i mean curating a show like that is is huge and and uh you know you're never going to be able to co- collect everybody and involve everybody it's yeah. you know and i think i think especially looking at the selection of artists that they put in there they clearly had an agenda to try and, and balance things out and showcase uh, a lot more of female artists, which mm-hmm. is awesome. And I think they totally, you know, it's a great initiative to take, but it, you know, I think by doing that, you, it meant not showcasing as many of the, probably the original, the, the OGs of the scene. So that like mm-hmm. who, you know, for whatever reason were are predominantly male. Um, yeah. And so, not to say that you you know it should only be a guy's show, but it's just sort of like if you want to sort of really talk about the history of the scene, you kind of have to just go with what's there. You can't sort of pick and choose like which elements you want to highlight. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I mean I, I think it's awesome, and I mean I was blown away by the fact of how many female artists were painting because when we started the gallery, I mean it's really uh, slim pickings. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, and, you know, I always got the question from news outlets being like, why aren't there more, why aren't there more women in the scene? And, you know, <laughs> I was sort of like, oh, debating, going back and forth. And, and my 
final answer after years of sort of trying to figure it out was just like, this is a dumb thing to do. And women are smarter than men. <laughs> it, it shuts people down pretty quick. You know, all the anyone yeah. who's feminist or anyone like looking to get that gotcha answer yeah, for me. Yeah. I'm just like, women are smarter than men. I mean, the reality is this is a dumb thing to do. Like whether you're doing it illegal, you're going out, you're breaking the law, you're climbing fences, you're getting chased, you know, yeah, yeah. it's just, it's a lot of risk. And mm-hmm. I'm not, not to say that a woman necessarily would shy away from that immediately, but probably yeah. after one night, they would be like, that was fun. I never have yeah. to do that again. Whereas guys, yeah, yeah. we just have this like dumb mentality of like, oh, let's do it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? You can like it's just like the it's male mentality of like you can fall off a skateboard and break your arm. Yeah. As soon as your arm heals, you're back on a skateboard. It's like mm-hmm. it's just, it doesn't click in our brains the way it does in a female brain. That like, yeah. and then you know I also have to be careful because then women who do do it are like, "What you're calling me stupid?" I'm like, "No, well yeah. you probably just I have that gene that allows you not to <laughs> take the risk into into consideration." Like, well, I think I, I think what you. I think in the beginning of it, like in a lot of the graffiti writers from, you know, from the beginning, beginning, I think, especially in Vienna, saying like the mid nineties or so, yeah, they were doing stupid shit and they were doing a lot of illegal stuff, but it took like a few women or one or two women to kind of show a different way to do it without being stupid <laughs> <laughs> to, for the rest of them to be like, yo, I can also do that. You know, and I think that's yeah. this, it really took the women to come in and kind of show everyone that like, yo, there's a different way to do this and we could do it like better than you and not have to pay fines and shit. Yeah. So they are definitely smarter in that aspect. But like, totally. like I, I agree, like in the beginning, I think um, a lot of the writers, most of the writers were, were males that were just like, didn't really give a fuck about getting caught or whatever. And I think um, the pioneers, the, the the female pioneers kind of really opened it up, not just for not just for women, but for other people in general who 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 saw this happening wanted to be involved but they're like oh fuck you know but i don't want to go put my name on a train or like i don't even know how to do that and i don't have like a crew to back me up you know like yeah and and these girls are going out there and like say fuck your crew i'm just gonna go paint this wall and paint this beautiful thing and i think other guys or you know kids and old people whatever they see that and like oh maybe i'll go paint something and you know i think that really grew uh this beautiful world of uh, street art street public art culture you know yeah yeah it's so almost more like democratizing it it's sort of like showing it sort of it doesn't have to be this sketchy illegal uh night action only thing it's like you know you can just go out and paint a nice mural exactly and i think there's plenty there's plenty of space for for both though which is awesome you know it's like it's cool being um because i'm doing more legal stuff because you know, my visa and shit is not really smart of me. I, you know, it took me a while to realize like, oh yeah, I could actually get kicked out of this country. <laughs> but, um, but I think being on, on more on this side, like doing legal stuff and, and, and showing my face everywhere, like not really worrying about it. And, but still having mad respect for the guys that are going out there and, and hitting the trains and, you know, really putting their life on the line and, and their livelihood on the line to do, what they love to do, you know, um, even though it might be considered vandalism, you know, and, and kind of really fucked up. Sometimes there's some really um, 
poignant messages that are coming out of that. You know, it takes people who are like breaking the rules and being like, you know, fuck you. I'm going to write this on this wall. And just to show you, like, this is what we're trying to say. This is the message we want to put out, you know, and it takes those guys too, you know, to kind of, uh, to make it all work, I guess. Yeah. hundred percent. You can't, I mean, it's almost like you can't have one without the other. It's, uh, no, definitely and then, you know, coming from the scene, I'll always have respect. I mean, the other day I was sitting outside and, uh, uh, I live on the, on the Miami river and right across from us was this, it must've been like 14 years old skateboarder. He's just over there practicing his tricks. And then he takes out a can and starts hitting tags. <laughs> and my neighbor comes out and he's like, Hey, knock it off. Do something nice. Like, fuck <laughs> you, man. And I, I started, I was like, Hey man, leave the kid alone. I was like, this is where it all starts. I was like, you like those murals in Wynwood, right? He's like, yeah, that's what I want him to do. And I'm like, he's 14. He doesn't yeah. know how to do that. Like, this is how it starts. He starts writing his name and then it yeah. progresses and he starts doing bubble letters and then he yeah. gets in the bigger stuff and then he starts painting murals and then you mm -hmm. can commission him to do a mural. <laughs> I was like, but a 14 year old kid on a skateboard isn't going to be doing like a masterpiece. Like, right. it's just like everyone yeah. expects because he's holding a can, he can do something nice. I'm like, no, nah, man, this is where it starts. So you have to exactly. support that kid. And it, I mean, it's, I've, I talk about this quite often, but it's all fairly new, you know, this street art graffiti culture being more in the mainstream. It's only been, I don't know, not that long, What 20 years, maybe 15 years, if that, I don't know where people are like, like actually you're paint a building with a, with a, with a painting and then all of a sudden they open up all these really expensive cafes just around that mural you know like yeah. this is this this is a kind of fairly new happening you know it's like um so i think it, it takes a, a people it takes a long time for for the other generation to realize what's happening now you know i think our generation are is just now beginning to realize what what has started and um, the potential of everything that's happening, you know, or, and also the destructive nature of it, because you see what's happened with, uh, with Wynwood and stuff like that, where it can kind of change a lot of the, the area, you know, and, in, in maybe in a negative way sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, not all the time, but this is something I think, um, I think we're going to realize more as it goes along, you know, that, painting this beautiful mural somewhere um even though we want to do it for the community then uh, there's going to be other forces that are going to come in and, and kind of try to monopolize on on that um that people are going to want to see that mural and you know um yeah i mean now, now you're getting into the whole topic of gentrification and that's like yeah. a whole huge one and you know i've i've had a lot of conversations with people about it and sort of how do you how do you do it right or <laughs> how do you yeah how do you do it the not the wrong way um so and tell I think us tell us how do you do another <laughs> <laughs> uh work don't work with the wrong developer that would be my first advice um yeah because i think that's that's really what happens is that the the worst cases are just these projects are backed by a developer who has no real interest in beautifying the neighborhood the real interest is just about kicking people out and raising the rent and and profiting off of the the sort of betterment of the neighborhood yeah. um and so if you can work with a partner that ideally is like a locally based sponsor or something someone who really has the best intentions of the neighborhood you know they want to th see 
the people who live there and the businesses that are there thrive mm -hmm. rather than uh, bringing in new people and new businesses, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because um, that's, that's how you make those things, those projects work. And you just have to be, it's a slippery slope. I mean, in Providence, you know, we, we get approached all the time by developers who are like, oh, we want to have you guys do murals in this neighborhood. And mm -hmm. I see right through it. I'm like, I know exactly what you're trying to do, man. Like you want us to come in first as the art group, paint yeah. a bunch of murals, make the neighborhood trendy so that white people feel safe and want to move in. And then you can raise the rent and you can mm -hmm. knock down the old buildings and you can put in like new condos and you know totally jack the neighborhood up and i'm like i have i want zero to do with that i don't yep. care how much money you're throwing at this but i will i do not want to participate in that kind of like blatant gentrification of a neighborhood mm -hmm. that said i have no objections to going into that same neighborhood if the local council person was like we're going to raise funds from local businesses to you know help fix up this lot that's just covered in trash and mm -hmm. we want to like yep. make a community garden that's going to help feed local families and, and we want you guys to paint murals around it mm -hmm. and you know i find a local artist to paint that so that the money goes back into the community you know <clears throat> it's just about doing it right um and and helping that community if you really want to see a, could the, that neighborhood thrive you mm -hmm. it's about helping the people in the community rather than just displacing them and moving in a bunch of rich white yuppies who can afford to pay for a condo. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's not an easy, easy uh, topic really. Cause yeah. especially for the artists, because they don't, you know, if you're, you're, you're basically relying on, on either the curator or if you need to kind of realize what, what you're doing, you know, if you're painting this mural, you know, you're first you're thinking about how much am I get, you know, what's the money, you know, what am I going to be able to paint? You know, what, what is this? Mm -hmm. The last thought is like, what, how is it going to affect the community around this painting? You know? So yeah. it's a, uh, it's something that it's, uh, it's hard to really think about, but um, as an artist anyway, but. Yeah. And especially really for the, like the festival gigs, like, you know, you, a lot of times you don't even know what neighborhood you're playing, painting in. Like you're just oh, you're flown in, you've got 10 days, you just rock up, you paint your wall and then you're out. You're not sort of thinking yeah. about what, what is this place? What's the potential here? So mm -hmm. yeah. um, it's, it's a, it's a tough one. Plus also the money. I mean, if someone, you know, if this developer comes at you and says, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to throw you $10,000 to paint this mural. The majority of artists are struggling and they're like, wow, that's awesome. I'll, you know, I'll come <laughs> paint your building. I don't care. You come in, you paint your building, and then you leave. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's you know money, money talks, and uh, right. it's it's hard to turn the the paycheck down like that. So, yeah, I feel like there's we can talk forever about like especially about inoperable and and what you did there, like making you know the street art map for one like, which is one thing that like a friend of mine just gave to me when I moved here. <laughs> like, hey, you know you you like street art? Maybe take one of these, and they had to find it in their in their shit and they gave me one of these and that's when i first saw the inoperable thing i'm like oh what's this so um awesome it worked so, yeah it worked <laughs> we have at least a, one story of it working so you no know, definitely it's like I, I i even put it up on my wall when i had when i first moved here i just got like um like a little seven square meter room in a in a 
in a you know a shared flat with like three other randos I didn't know and yeah. I had that on my wall and I would be like oh, okay well I know it kind of helped me to figure out where the where the spots were and stuff but yeah. before I kind of started to realize Vienna you know um, and going back to like uh, moving here and because I I kind of had this relationship with Nitros and he really helped me out a lot when I first moved here and like kind of helped me. Uh, by just letting me chill out in his studio for hours and hours. I'm sure I, bo- I bothered the shit out of him. <laughs> I would just hang out there and just draw like my stupid drawings all day. And and I was there to help, you know, as much as I could, but I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, you know. They'd be like, hey, uh, can you drive over here and, and uh, you know, drop this off or do that in our car? I'm like, I don't even, I don't even know if I can drive on these streets, you know, <laughs> like, and, and let alone like I don't know the parking. I'll do it. No problem. I'll do it. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was really cool for, of him to kind of welcome me in for the rest of the time in Vienna, I kind of had to fill my way around. I mean, there was no, um, I don't know how the experience was for you when you came in, but, uh, for me, I came in with this mentality of like, um, everyone was going to see me come in and I kind of would know one or two people. And then eventually people are just going to be like, oh, I can help you with this. Or, you, hey, you need a couch to stay on? Because I, I only had an Airbnb for like two weeks when I first moved here. I had no <laughs> plan to actually stay. I was like just going to kind of fly around a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. Um, But I, I realized pretty quickly that, uh, yeah, I'm kind of on my own. I got to figure this shit out. And um, I don't know how, how that's, that experience. That's Vienna, you. man. That That's yeah. it through and through. Um, yeah. And that was kind of, I think, probably one of the reasons why we wanted to make that map. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the true origin story of that map was my pure laziness of the amount of times that people would come into the gallery with the, the pink Mannerschnitten map that you get at like every tourist stand. Yeah. And they were just like, hey, where are the cool spots? Where can we go paint legal walls? Where are like uh, other galleries or shops that we should check out? And I was just like, mm-hmm. Yo, I have drawn the same dots on this damn map so many times. Like, I'm just like sick of this. Uh, yeah. And I was like, you know what? Let's make our own map. Like, let's make uh, like a street art guide to the city and that work with Vienna Tourism and mm-hmm. get them to put it out. Because, and it, it took a little bit of, of talking, but we figured out like that they were they were really thirsty. I mean, they they know that they have like that classic music, traditional mm-hmm. Viennese tourism, that's lo- yep. unlock. Like that yep, will yep. never go away. The amount of Asian tourism that they, the city gets just from the fact of like Mozart and Beethoven and all that stuff is like, mm-hmm. they don't have to do anything and that will <laughs> always generate. And so yep. they were, when we had these conversations, they were like, we are so thirsty for like a new generation. We want to have something different. So they actually have a huge campaign for um, like gay and LGBTQ tourism, that they're like trying to push that community really, really hard. Um, Mm -hmm. And that when we came to them with this idea of like, we're going to, we want to make a guide for like the young urban traveler. And, you know, I came with examples of in Melbourne, they have uh, on all of the, all of the local uh, guides to the city, they Mm -hmm. list the, the street art lanes, like the legal spots. And, you know, it's listed in, in the airline magazines when you fly into Australia, um, other places, Berlin, London, all these places had these guides and the cities were getting behind it and being like, hey, this is a cool spot to go if this is your scene. 
And so yeah. when we approached them, they were actually really excited and like, oh, this is so cool. Like we will <laughs> we will cover like the printing costs and we'll put them in all of our kiosks and things That's like that. That's awesome. And so it was just sort of like this amazing, this uh, quick turnaround of it. Just like, you know, the things clicked into place. Uh, I forget what year we did it, but there was a lot of, at the time, everybody was into apps. I mean, everyone's yeah. obviously still into apps. Um, and it, it, there were a lot of people making these street art guides on an app where you could take okay. your own photo and upload it. And I was like, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's just me because I'm an old spirit and I don't really like get that much into it. I was, always, yeah. I'm always like years behind with having new phones and new technology, but I was like, Same if time. I go to a new city, I'm not necessarily going to have my phone out and taking pictures. Yeah. And also this is, you know, it might be close to 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. yeah. You didn't have the roam, the same roaming charges that you have now, you know, yeah, like exactly. if I left Austria and I went to Germany, if I went to Spain, my phone is going to go into roaming and then I'm going to get slapped with a bunch of charges. I'm not going to use my phone when I travel into another country. Now I'll use it on Wi-Fi hotspots, but I'm not going to be walking through the city, like taking photos and uploading. So yeah. in my mind, I was like, an app is kind of useless to anyone from outside. Like mm -hmm. if I go into Vienna, I want to have a hard, like a printed copy that I can look at and be like, Oh, here's the spots I need to go to. You know, you need to have the references of, Stefan's Tome and Museums Quartier, the like iconic places. It but, also um, doubles like a, like a souvenir, you know, because yeah. you know, an app is just you delete it after you leave the city. But this map, you would keep it and you know, just like, put it with your stuff and find it one day and be like, oh, I remember I went to Vienna and we looked at these places and it's yeah. really cool, really cool idea. And it's amazing that uh, that Vienna backed it. I didn't realize that they put it in all their tour shops. I thought you had to go to your gallery to get it or something. Yeah, they. They didn't, they ended up not putting it in like every place. I went around and tried to check a few spots. Um, uh -huh. checking up on I was like, well, you guys didn't put them in the airport. Like I flew into the Vienna airport one time and I like went to the, to the tourist kiosk there and I was like, oh, do you have the street art guide? And they're like, they stared at me like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I was like, damn you, Vienna tourism. Um, uh, but we like, we went through them fast. I think the first edition we did like 40,000 and mm -hmm. uh wow. they were they we at a couple months we we like got rid of them all mm -hmm. uh i think i think museums quartier was our main distribution point though oh, okay yeah that makes sense yeah yeah i have i think did you make two different editions of this because yep. i think i have two different ones yeah yeah i have two yeah. different ones i don't remember where the second one came from if it was the same person but yeah. Um, well, I have to I have to shout out to Lilo the Lilo Krebernick. Um, yeah. He did he did the, the design on both of those. Um, yeah. He's also like big OG from the scene. I mean, he was a big influence early in the days with his uh, with his all his projects that he was doing like with Red Bull. They brought a bunch of artists out. They did this awesome event in a, like an old abandoned warehouse uh, yeah. where they they got like those sleep like the sleeper trains you know like when mm -hmm. you travel and you get like the six bunk bed things they somehow oh, yeah, yeah. managed to get those from i think slovakia and pull them in because the, the warehouse was right on an old train track and they mm -hmm. just like parked the train next to the warehouse so all the artists got to like sleep on the train next to the warehouse and wow. and then we just like took over this warehouse for two weeks and had artists from germany and switzerland and, um 
Yeah, it was like the crazy early days of the Vienna scene. Yeah, yeah shout out to Lilo. I haven't talked to him in a while. We, we um, He's also one of the, the guys that kind of welcomed me in when I first moved here. And, um, you know, he still has that, I think he still has that cool pad out there um, yeah. with his half pipe in the back. And, yeah, really amazing family. I know they're doing that uh, snowboard family stuff. Um, yeah on Instagram, snowboard family. Uh, they're really amazing stuff. And his, his wife, also a great artist. I haven't talked to him in a while though. Um, yeah. kind of fell off the last few years, but, um, I, I mean the conversation between us, not him, I think he's doing a lot of work and stuff. So, yeah, no, he's, there's the, I mean, what they built over there, that house. I mean, it, they, it's fantastic. They're like amazing. the epitome of like uh Peter Pan syndrome. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> he, he grew up and was just like, I get to build a, a kid friendly house now and put a half pipe with like, it's a playground, so. Exactly. And then his, I mean, also for his children also, I mean, I don't know, his 26 kids or, no, I think he has, <laughs> four, he has four beautiful kids. I think and it's like, they, they're they growing up in this great, uh, yeah, like playground, you know, this uh, create this creative uh, world that they built, you know, it's really amazing, yeah. really cool to do. But yeah, that's, that's a really good example of like um, how you can do your thing in Vienna and just kind of, you find what you like to do and you make it work and, and you do that, you know, and uh, fuck what everybody else says. Like, this is the way I want to do it. I'm going to yep. do it like this. And, you know, there's going to, most of Vienna is not going to understand what you're doing or why you want to do it. But um, they just kind of let you, you know, they just kind of, <laughs> if you can do it, cool, you know, and, and once you start to get really popular and, uh, and recognize, maybe I'll come around and check it out. Yeah. 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 I mean, the worst <laughs> thing, the worst thing I've realized is that if, is for outsiders to come in with a cocky attitude. Oh yeah. Like, that'll, that, that'll shut you down real fast. The Austrians yeah. do not like a cocky attitude. Yeah. And I saw so many people come and be like, yo, I'm going to do this. I'm the best. I'm blah, blah, blah. And I was like, mm, good luck, buddy. Like you, yeah. the Austrians are going to hate you. Yeah. So yeah. You definitely yeah. have to have a, a, a big level of uh, sort of humility and sort of, you know, just sort of, Keep it low key. Yeah, you have to gain the respect for sure first before anything. I think that's a good good. I think this is one thing that I really I was saying before how it was really hard when I came here and nobody really welcomed me in at first. But um, you know, aside from like nitros and, and rabbit eye movements and stuff like this, but it was in a way this really helped me. If it's it's kind of a, a weird thing to say, but it forced me to kind of like okay, I have to do this shit myself. I'm going to start from you know, uh, I didn't, nobody was helping me to find jobs uh, in the beginning, you know, like I, w I came here just to be an artist. Like yeah. in, in Texas, I was like, I was an art organizer, but full-time UPS driver. <laughs> and then I moved here. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to focus on my art. And um, looking back now, like this was six years ago, my art was shit, dude. I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really draw really well. You know, I thought that I drew well, you know, I came from like this lowbrow scene and we all support each other you know we were growing off each other and stuff but i didn't really have that time to uh to focus on it and when i came here i found a lot of time to focus on it and i just started like um painting shoes for tourists like converse shoes you know <laughs> like some there's like this place called like addicted to rock and they have like a small shop it was a bar with a small shop in the back and they'd sell converse there and so somebody would come and buy a pair of converse and they bring it to me i'd be sitting at a table <laughs> And I'd have my markers there and they're like, you know, what do you want? And like, yeah, Mickey Mouse or whatever. And I'll draw it on the shoes. And, and I did this for a long time, but um, it, yeah. it kind of knocked me down a little bit and say like, okay, this, uh, there's not a blanket. There's not a, a pillow here for you. You know, like 
if you want this pillow, you're going to have to earn that fucking pillow. And, you know, six years later, I'm still here and I'm fucking, I'm still climbing it up. You know, it's like, um, it, it kind of forces you to, to do it yourself. And I really respect Vienna for that kind of, uh, for that kind of, uh, push, you know, I think I wouldn't be where I am right now if it wasn't for, for what Vienna has taught me or kind of left me to do on my own, you know? hundred percent. Totally agree with you on that. Um, and as I said, I think that's one of the reasons why what makes that the city so unique um, and that is also it's to its detriment of like not encouraging people like you when they come in to like, yeah, OK, you're, you're creative. You want to do something like let's 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 help you thrive that it's like mm-hmm. at first it's sort of let's beat you down to see if mm-hmm. you can last. Yeah. And then if yeah. you last, then we'll help you thrive. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that it takes a certain type of person to get like beaten down and last. And uh, yeah, and I think that's why you know a lot, you know most people like they take one beating and they're like, screw this, I'm out. I'm like, I'm not going to do this here. The coronavirus does not help at all because since we've, <laughs> we've only been open for I don't know about a year and a half here at the studio, and I, we had a really good uh, momentum in the beginning. You know, we were doing like a lot of group shows and. Um, we had a plan for the entire year of 2020 and then 2020 had its own plan and we kind of had to shut down and that kind of, uh, forced us to kind of, um, evaluate like what we're doing, you know, with the space yeah. and we were just sitting here kind of waiting, like, okay, maybe we'll wait a month or so. Maybe we could push this back, push this back. And now we're at the point where we're kind of just in the middle of the river with no paddle and just kind of waiting <laughs> for the wind to pick up again. You know, it's like, um, yeah. it's, it's hard to plan an event and I don't want to personally plan any events if I'm just going to have to end up pushing it back later again and again, you know? So it's better in my mind, it's like, it's better just to, to wait until things start to happen regularly again, you know, but in the meantime, it's like, you're just kind of, you're a little isolated, you know, and you you don't, um, you can't, you're not doing what you usually would do, you know, and as a, as an organizer, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, just to sort of hopefully put your mind at ease, I think everybody's in that same river with no paddles. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're all stuck. We're all sort of like, uh, yeah, when, yeah. when can we start planning things? Or like, when can we get back to this? I mean, we're all, st- I mean, I'm struggling with it over here that we're sort of like, you know, can we start planning projects for this year? Uh, who knows? You know, the, the one great thing about planning public art is that primarily it's a solitary uh you know activity so you know even if like restrictions were put back into place the artist is standing by themselves painting a mural and if Mm. they're on a lift they're more than six feet or whatever two meters away from people so it's kind of like uh it is this kind of thing that you can still in theory plan the travel restrictions make things complicated because we can't necessarily fly someone in and have them sit around for two weeks and pay for a hotel room and then have them paint and then, you know, send them on their way. Uh, so yeah, I think it's, that's, that's a big hurdle for sure to have artists come through. I miss um, the times where there was just random artists coming through Vienna and you can link up with them and, and, and paint or just uh, talk to them and stuff. But hopefully this comes this summer. I don't know. Yeah. But 
but I really miss doing the group shows and stuff like that. That's like one of the things that um, that, that kind of came out of doing the art slams in San Antonio, like doing these like large live art events with many different artists and everybody has a different style. And you're kind of also, um, in my eyes, it's kind of giving a voice to artists who might not be getting seen so much because they're not doing primor- primarily street art or graffiti. They're doing mostly, I don't know, litho prints or they're doing uh, acrylic paintings and stuff like that, but they're great artists and they're, they're, I would consider them like lowbrow artists, you know, they're not, yep. they're not getting into big galleries and stuff like that. And yeah. I love doing these kind of events because um, with the art slam, we would do like a theme show. So we'd have like, for example, like an arcade show or we have like a star Wars show. And now I can kind of do that here with this space. Um, but since Corona, we haven't been able to do that at all. And I'm hoping we can start doing that again soon. <laughs> it's the only time we'll yeah, start getting back rolling again. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm so, I feel like I'm, I look back at my gallery days and I'm like, man, I'm so glad I'm not in that world right now because it's so tempting to want to put together an exhibition because it's not like creativity stopped. I mean, people are still making work and you yeah. want to show it, but then you're sort of like, how do you create a safe space for people to come and check out that work? You don't want to yeah. have, you know, you can have opening hours and usually with galleries, there's not like a whole, you know, huge group of mass people that come in all at once yeah. but if you do an opening that's when everybody comes together especially if you do a group show because you know the artist brings three friends and then they bring a friend you've now yep. got hundreds of people showing up yeah um, and then i've seen a lot of galleries that are that are doing it but they're you have to do it at scheduled times or um even these like vr um exhibitions and stuff you know yeah. i think people find a way to do it but it's just yeah. It's not the same, but, you know, I think hopefully we'll be back to that pretty soon. Everybody has yeah. to get their vaccines. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Yeah, we'll see. So speaking on that, um, do you have any advice for me uh, regarding, like, running a gallery or keeping this going? Because actually I opened this space not expecting to to be having a gallery, but now I have this space here. So, <laughs> uh, um, I mean, just keep going with it. And and only show art that you can stand behind. That was one of my main things that I tried to do for the for all 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I could feel it. When I, when I was doing a show that I didn't 100% believe in, mm-hmm. I, like, personally, I, sort of, I didn't feel motivated to sell the work. I wasn't that, sta- that proud to stand behind it or do press or anything like that. So... Mm-hmm you got to make sure that every show that you put on is something that you believe in and that you're like a hundred percent committed to. Cause otherwise it's not going to benefit the artist. It's not going to benefit the space. It's not going to be- benefit you. Um, and I think that's just, you know, if you start selling stuff, you don't want to sell, you might as well be a, a used car salesman. Yeah, true. <laughs> and probably, probably more successful in the end. Exactly. I, I mean, you know, selling used cars is probably almost easier because it's something that people probably need as opposed to art, which is when it comes yeah. down to it is a luxury item. I mean, nobody yeah, really needs to have art. Um, yeah. I think we would be a horrible society without art, but it's, mm-hmm. it is a luxury item. Like society could in theory exist without people buying paintings and putting them on their walls. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I it's definitely, yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's a luxury to be able to afford to have a really nice painting and 
and also in the same time you're supporting the artists. But you know, if the money's not there, if you're out of a job because of whatever reason, then you know, buying a painting is the last thing on your mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's like first let me buy up all the toilet paper in the in Walmart. Exactly. <laughs> and then maybe uh I could think about something else. But yeah. Yeah, man. Um and and stick with it, man. I mean, also like get out of Vienna once in a while because that was a big thing for me to just like you know after some time with all those especially those long winters i just needed to get out and go see another city and see how people were other cities and other people were doing things mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. got that gets the creative juices flowing and then you come back like supercharged and ready to go for another year or six months or whatever it is but it's sort of you know it can get daunting just getting in that same repetitive uh, workhorse schedule. Def- definitely. Um, I think it's, um, I, I really always wanted to have like kind of a, a small team here too, to kind of like help push this vision forward, you know, but in the end it's uh, it's myself and, and my wife, which is, which works perfectly because I'm basically able to do what I like to do and not have to like ask a bunch of other people like their thoughts. <laughs> but um, I kind of miss, uh, you know, this, I, I guess, I don't know where I'm going with that, but it's, I, I, it's really hard to, to find a group of people to, to work with. So I think in that, in that reality, it's, uh, working by yourself can be very lonely, but at the end, at the end, it's really rewarding at the same time. So, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I totally feel you on the finding somebody hard to work with is, is incredibly difficult. And yeah. I, you know, got incredibly lucky finding Nati, and that we just clicked so well that she had experience in the graffiti street art world, but also in like the art history world. So that, um, you know, she, she could speak intellectually about art. Whereas I was just sort of dumb, the dumb guy who was <laughs> good at hanging yeah. paintings and, and drinking beers with the, with the dudes. <laughs> but, uh, if you want me to speak intellectually about the, you know, the, psychological impact of 19th century art on the society i would be like ah, no thanks uh, but you did know, but you do know a lot about uh Kesselak. yeah Did I say yeah that right? yeah, yeah. Kesselak, you know that was i i still you know i spread that word that's another thing like as we were talking about earlier with the the, the issue of german versus english his story mm-hmm. has never really been told in english and I think that is one of the reasons why his story has never gone international. I mean, the, the, the truth of the matter is that he is like the OG graffiti writer. Yep, yep. And everyone I explained this to, I'm like, everything you think of as a graffiti artist, this guy had it. Yep. And <laughs> nobody talks about him. And every, and every time I get so upset when they're like, this all started in New York or Philadelphia, I'm like, actually it kind of started in vienna like this guy kieselak was like a shithead who wrote his name on everything just because he wanted to <laughs> like, right, right. Um, i hope you still you still correct everyone when, you, when they start talking about it just like, oh I, i'm like oh, man. hold my case of kleiner for a second all right <laughs> exactly. i mean I, I choose my battles i'm not gonna like walk into a room full of like og new york writers and be like <laughs> Actually, you guys didn't start this. They'd be like, let's kick this guy's ass. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's probably um, smart. 
But I, I, you know, I, I even called it out in that, uh, that weird little Shepard Fairy film that they made about like his origin story. Mm-hmm. I feel like they did a reference to Kieselak because mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you saw it. There's so these RISD students because he's Shepard Fairy started at RISD, which is in Providence, and they made like a little, uh, I think it was like their thesis project where they got an actor to be Shepard Fairy and they like did his origin story of how this all started in Providence and um, doing the, the Andre the giant face over the local mayor and like mm-hmm. slapping it on his billboard. And it was like a huge thing. People still talk about in Providence. It's like this iconic moment in the city's history, mm-hmm. but in the movie, buddy Cianci basically calls or tells his assistant, like find me this punk and bring him to my office calls shepherd fairy into his office and he's like stop tagging your stupid things around the city and don't mess with any more of my billboards yeah. and then his shepherd fairy's like okay i'm sorry whatever it leaves and then cut to there's a shot of his sticker on the mayor's desk and i'm like whoa this is like one-to-one the story of kisalak like somebody must have read the story and was like, oh, let's use that for Shepard Fairy. I mean, I, it's like, you can't do it otherwise. <laughs> True, I know. That's not like a, yeah, that's quite a coincidence, I think. It's if it was just um, out of their own head or whatever. Yeah, is, and, I, you know, I, I've run into Shepard a couple times and I always mean to ask him, but he's, he. I don't think he really had any involvement in the movie. So I want to, you know, I got to find the kids or the guys who made the movie and be like, do you guys know about Kieselak? Come on. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I think I, I took up enough of your time here, but I, I feel like I talked to you forever about, about this stuff. It was really a pleasure talking to you about, about the history of this. And I really no, hope my pleasure, to, man. I hope that you're able to make it through here again sometime. It would really, be really nice to, to grab a coffee with you sometime and, and just talk about bullshit for a long time. And Yeah. Yeah, we, we'll time. talk bullshit. And yeah. We won't record it for, for whatever this is, almost two hours. and. Yeah bore the internet world with our conversation. I was like, who wants to listen to these two idiots ramble on for forever? The the my, my, my hope is that everybody that listens to this podcast, they're actually doing work somewhere. They're drawing something or they're just, I don't know, doing something. And, and we're just like the background noise. And every, <laughs> once in a while, every once in a while, their ears are par- perk up when they hear us talking shit about Vienna. And then, and then they yeah. go back to drawing. Like, what'd they say about the case of Kreiner? What? Schnitzel, huh? <laughs> food is what's going to get their attention not us like rambling about painting murals and dumb shit i should i should change the whole concept of this podcast just talking about food within the street them and it's all art (laughs) food is a small part of it (laughs) what's your favorite meal oh and by the way tell us about the art what art were you thinking about when you were eating that Mm -hmm. exactly very nice i feel like there's probably like a like like a cooking show you know like we could we could sit around and like the two of us try and make a schnitzel but while we're doing that, we're we're talking about the old art scene and like what what it was like back in 2006. Or you know, we could like, be making the schnitzel like we, every episode we try to perfect it, you know, and then we give it to like local Viennese uh, people and let them try it, and that's the whole episode. And at the end, see if they like it or not. And the next time we try we try to do it even better and then better. <laughs> but the shtick will be that it's always like a grumpy Austrian who's like, "Not shit, that's <laughs> not good." <laughs> like every <laughs> <laughs> get out of here you dumb americans like no one makes schnitzel like us <laughs> yeah we should try to sell it to like tlc or something we'll see yeah man i think they, I they might pick it up they might be onto it so 
But uh, oh, yeah, man, yeah, I'm, man. Ha- I'm happy to come back. I mean, let's figure out a reason. Let's do a little, a little summer jam when COVID's gone and done with, and we can actually travel and and interact and high five and hug and do all those weird things. For sure, man. For sure. Well, you've got you've got my contact here, and you know that we're. I'm always down to do stuff, so hit me up. And um, you know, you still got all your buddies out here, man. I'm sure they're all missing you to death, and they're all listening yeah. to this podcast, being like, "Man, I miss his voice. Sure, <laughs> I wish I, I wish I could just smell him right now next to me." Oh yeah, that that stench, the American stench that they miss so much, <laughs> soaked in booze. <laughs> yeah, but hopefully sooner than later you, you'd be able to come by. And uh, yeah, man, we're, we're I know a lot of people here they they haven't forgotten about you, man. And and inoperable has been like it's still a staple here, and people still. Um, show the murals around. They're still part of like major, you know, tours and uh, they're still in books and people really talk about it all the time. So uh, you're not forgotten here, man. You're, you're, uh, you're still, still here. Just, well, uh, that was one of the last, I mean, the good thing was that one of the last murals we did was the one with Evoca and he ended up using my face for the reference on that. So I feel like yeah. that was like a good last stamp of being like, I'm here. I'm here, motherfuckers. Like I just painted myself like huge on the building. Microphone drop. I'm out. <laughs> I ain't going nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's great, man. It's really awesome. But um, yeah, next time you're in town, man, um, we'll all be we'll all be here waiting for you with some warm schnitzels and some very w- lukewarm autocringa or or steel. Uh, or uh, <laughs> well, that's one thing I don't miss: these sort of <laughs> not so cold beers. That that was another thing I changed with with the gallery. I was like. We need to have cold fucking beer. I'm not serving like lukewarm beer. Yeah. This is like and one thing I really appreciate about the gallery too. I was the guy in the gallery walking around uh, with a koozie, with a beer in my koozie, and everybody's Hell like, what yeah. is this? What is this thing wrapped around your beer? And I'm like, oh, it's a koozie. They're like, what? They still to this day don't understand what a koozie is, or they understand it, but they don't. It's so alien to them. Yeah. And every I time meaning, I keep meaning to just to print a bunch of koozies with my name on it or something, just start giving them out to people and just, just so they can throw it in their drawer of useless shit. But you know, they, it needs to be part of this Viennese life. I think, I think they, they're missing out on a, a great invention. It is man. And I remember same thing. I'd, I'd bring out a koozie. I people would stop me. Like I'd be sitting on the bus drinking mm-hmm. a beer and that's a crazy thing. Like any Americans who are listening to this, they're like, wait, you can drink beer on a bus. You're like, yeah, man, it's Austria. They don't care. So yeah. I'd be sitting there drinking in the middle of winter as well. And you're drinking mm-hmm. a beer and people are like, what's on your beer? And you're like, it's a koozie. It keeps your beer cold and your hand warm. Right. And like, yep. it's great in the summertime. So you don't warm up your beer or it's great in the wintertime. So you don't like freeze your hand off. And there's like, yeah. wow, what? It's amazing. Such a simple solution, you know? And then, and then the, the, those like ones that fold up are so perfect. You slip them in your back pocket. Exactly. Boom! Exactly. You're ready to go. Uh, I think you've. Yeah, I'm glad we talked about this. Cause I think I felt like I was the only one that that didn't realize that this was. It's almost like a another dimension where you popped into this other alternate universe where koozies don't <laughs> exist. You know, and they're like, "What is this thing?" It's like, really, nobody invented this yet. Like, it's yeah. <laughs> it's pretty common. Uh, oh, man. And especially but, at uh, at festivals. I mean, Austria has such a big festival culture of like going out, sure. standing in the sun all day, like. Bring a koozie, man. It'll keep your beer a little bit colder, a little bit longer. Yeah, I think they've just gotten so used to having like just 
mildly cold beer that it's not even an issue. You know, it's like, like yeah, that. this is the perfect temperature. You know, it's like, okay, <laughs> I mean, for you, <laughs> I'll deal with it. I guess I'll drink it. Yeah, yeah but uh, I've gotten used to it. I, actually, when people hand me kind of a a normal warm beer, you know, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll yeah, drink yeah. it if it's free. I'll I know it. if it's free, you can't complain. <laughs> but uh, oh, I used to shit all over the Otter Rocker. Uh, the do they still make those? What is this? This was the Ottakringer release. Is like I guess they used to do it every summer for the festival season. They they it was like a black can. Oh, okay, yeah, I've seen the rocker. Uh huh. And they, it was like special edition for the summer and the festivals because it looked badass and it was matte black. But the thing is, it's black. It attracts sunlight. So you're sitting outside watching your concert and like you're holding a black can that's just absorbing all that sun and heat. <laughs> and I was just like. This is actually a really dumb idea. Like you guys need to fix this. <laughs> It'd be but. perfect for a white koozie on the outside. Exactly. So bring a koozie and wrap it around it. <laughs> we should just start our own koozie printing business here. I think we do. I think we'd, we'd actually go out of business very quickly. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice thought. It's that, it's that mentality of like, there's a, there's a hole miss, you know, there's a, a, a gaping hole and try to fill it with, with ideas, but no. And yeah. this, for this, Maybe it's better just just let it be. Just yeah, I'll just let it be a special special occasions that some people know. I actually I did produce a couple koozies before I left for some of my oh, friends really? that I left with them because uh, I had I used to have a boat on the Alta Donau. It was just like a little wood boat to put around in, and I and a bunch of my buddies bought it off of me, and they they still maintain it. Um, and so before I left, I made a koozie for each of them to have with their name on it and the name of the boat and like sort of keep the spirit alive. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they use them or if they just were like, thanks, Nick. And then they just threw them out or whatever. But Yeah, if I, if I see them out there puddling around, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll call them out on it. Where's your koozie? Yeah, yeah. I know. I know Knarf has one. Knarf and like all those guys. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll keep an eye on him. He's showing everything in his story, so I'm sure I'll, if I don't see a koozie there, I'm going to call him out. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, before you go, man, uh, do you want to shout out any of your uh, your website and your Instagram or anything you want to um, people or people can find you? I guess on the internet. Um. Yeah, I have a OnlyFans account. You can hit me up there. And uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> nah. Um. No, nah, I mean. That's that section of my life is in, is is on a different website, but uh, no, you can find me Instagram, uh, inoperable, uh, inoperable at. I still maintain my Austrian web domain. Um, good, good for you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> people are probably like, "What the fuck is at? Why you got that? What is that?" I'm like, "It's Austria. Come on, got to keep con- it respectable." Con taken. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it was, if, if I did it early on, like when in the early days, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do dot at so people know. Yeah. Yeah. That but, this uh, is know, in Austria. Yeah. People but if you're are, not from Austria, people just, people just assume that you're cheap. You don't want to pay for the dot com. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like dot plus, you know, it's like, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, world. no, an at is the website. Uh, got all a bunch of projects loaded up there. And then, you know, also check out the Avenue concept, uh, their, the Instagram for Avenue is Avenue PVD, uh, and that gets a lot of different things, uh, including the, the murals and the sculptures and all like this community work that we do around the city. 
we're just really trying to shape a lot of the stuff that's going on as that city develops the the public art programs and all that so nice it's good to hear that you're you're still doing all that stuff there it's really awesome yeah i mean it's it's nice too to bring a little bit of you know the things that i learned in austria and bring them over to to providence um yeah it's cool nice cool and we got i got to bring nitros out there that was that was a fun one for for a festival or just for one mural or what was for, it? Uh, for a big mural. At the time, it was his biggest one he had done. Okay. Uh, he had just done the solo show at the Jonathan Levine Gallery in New York. And then mm-hmm. he came from New York, came up to Providence, did a, a huge snow leopard. Oh, and, okay. Yeah, yeah. I know and then uh, I was like, nice. yeah, all right. I got to do like, we did the biggest wall. And then I think two weeks later, he flew back to Vienna and goes out to Linz and does that big snake in that at the mural harbor in Linz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's even bigger. I was like, man, come on. Like, you kind of just let it run for a year. Let us be like, we got the biggest nitros. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's still pretty impressive. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. But cool, man. I'm looking forward to see what other projects you have coming up. And um, yeah, like I said, let's talk again soon, man. Like, don't be a stranger. Hit me up whenever you'd like. If you're if you're missing some, if you want to hear some Viennese stories, or if you're if you're worried about Vienna, just call me and I'll tell you how she's doing. All right, you, let me know how the grumpy people are. Make sure they're still grumpy. They're still grumpy. Don't worry, I'm keeping them grumpy. I'm still, All right. Like, I you know I haven't. I give them the big smile and they give me the the big frown. It's working. It's a good <laughs> communication we have going. <laughs> I have people tell me like, yeah, it, you're always happy. Why why are you always happy? I'm like fuck, man. Like. The the only response I can give is like I don't know, man. I'm I'm breathing. Yeah, no. This is nice, you know. This is pretty nice to be alive. That's one response. The other response is like it's because I'm seeing you, man. You're so <laughs> so wonderful to be in your presence. They're like, now you made it weird. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> get the hell out of here. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. yeah, but cool, man. It's nice. To, it's nice to to talk to someone who's also experienced a lot of the stuff that I'm have experienced and and am still experiencing. So yeah, um, man. Anytime you need advice or, or a pick me up or whatever, like or a motivational speech, sometimes you might get me in the wrong day and I'll be like, fuck it, dude, it's not worth it. But <laughs> um, I've, I've, it's, it's, it was weird. A few times I had people in Vienna reach out and ask me things. And then like a few months later, they came back and they're like, man, you totally inspired me to do this one thing. I was like, really? I thought I was in a shitty mood that day. And they're like, nah, man, you told me you got me to like start my own like fashion label. I was like, all right. I guess I said something, right? Yeah, it's awesome. But yeah, you definitely have a lot of experience to to give to a lot of people here in Vienna and everywhere. So it's cool that uh, you, we get to talk to you and and hear some of this uh, these stories and what you yeah. built. You know, it's pretty awesome. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. No problem. All right, man. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. And again, thank you so much for for your time and for talking. And uh, yeah, definitely, let's keep in touch. We'll do. We'll do for sure. Cool, man. All right. Take oh, it easy. How, how do we turn this off? Like, how, where's the uh, where's the end button? And like, make sure you save it. Don't, because this is another thing. We're gonna get to the end of this. You're gonna record, or like, hit stop, and then close the tab, and it's not gonna save. And you're like, oh shit. Fuck. I'm gonna call you tomorrow and be like, hey man, you remember all that shit we talked about yesterday? <laughs> Can we do that again? Yeah, I'll be like, all right, let me get a couple beers in me first, though. <laughs> I might sort of drift off. If we were both sort of sitting here drinking, getting drunker and drunker. 
but it, it's been cool like doing the podcast here at the studio and like having like uh, these guys come over and we we drink and then we take a break and then we drink and by the end of the podcast you start to hear us like already slurring our words more <laughs> and and just like talking random shit like we had uh the first episode with uh dj effect he said what's up by the way um i talked oh. to him the other day and uh yeah legend and by the end and also with shoe it was the same thing we already had a few beers and it was just like okay uh I don't know what we're talking about anymore. <laughs> just keep going. So there's a lot of editing involved there, but that's a good good thing about editing. You could always make it sound like the conversation was totally perfect and seamless. Exactly. Yeah, I wish you all the luck with it, man. I think it's a, it's an important thing, and I think it's a, like I said, it's a nice it's a nice platform for the artists. I think uh, there's been a lot of this. I think that's one of the things that's, that's definitely come out of this whole pandemic is a lot of these podcasts or sort of Instagram live interviews where you know people they. We, now's the chance to be able to just talk and like we don't have that personal connection anymore that this is this is what it is and it's kind of almost like a a mental stimulus to be able to just have a conversation with somebody mm -hmm. yeah uh, definitely i think and i think it's also part of uh human nature to kind of like want to listen in on conversations and like kind of get to know someone without having to like personally get into their space or reach out to them first like i think it's mm -hmm. it's a cool introduction without actually having to make the first step into introducing yourself to someone you know what i mean for, totally. for artists in the scene you know i think and hopefully this hopefully this helps i don't know um for me it, it helps because i love talking to people like you or like sitting down with shoe or um you know even like good friends with you know haka mm -hmm. michael haka you're, you also know haka and yeah like, yeah and sitting down and talking to him for like two hours and just uh, we've always talked but we never really got deep into a conversation about like where he came from or where he started his art or like or how he feels about art and like it's it's cool for me to to get deeper into a conversation or have a reason to get deeper into a conversation and not be interrupted by people you know walking around or coming up and you know it's cool oh I yeah like totally no totally definitely um and yeah mickey is like again another another legend he's one of those people definitely. that walked into the gallery uh, sort of casually one day we were going to, I saw us get the gig posters they were doing. And I was like, Hey, you guys should come do a show. And then him and Fertile walked in and we just like hit it off from there and just ended up doing so <laughs> many projects and going on night missions and screen printing yeah. posters together. I got a Mickey Hawker tattoo on my ankle. Um, oh, nice. So he's a really yeah. great guy. Like one of my, my favorite guys here in Vienna. Like he's, he's really a character, man. He's a really a cool guy. Yeah. As much as I love him, man, I have to hate him because he was one of the one of the big reasons I really stopped drawing and doodling. Because every time I see what he does, I'm like, God, I'm never going to be this good. It just comes so naturally to him, right? Like it's like you see his work; it seems, it seems so fucking effortless. It's like, yeah. what the fuck, man? Like even his ideas. It's not just a drawing; it's the ideas behind the drawing. And yeah. I'm just like, how did you come up with this shit? It's so fucking genius. Like, yeah, it's amazing. Like. <laughs> You know, I, I, he's a really big inspiration, like, I think. And uh, he doesn't get enough credit, that guy. He's really amazing. Yeah. If you haven't heard, there's uh, there's an episode. Um, I think it's the third episode. Um, and we talk for, like, two hours about bullshit. And, yeah, it's really fun. He's a really good guy. So cool. Yeah. Cool, cool man. All right, well, I'll let you go. And, um, yeah, for sure, keep in touch, man. And I'll, I'll be reaching out to you every once in a while just to see if you're if, if Miami is still staying there, which is one of my favorite cities also, that family there, but uh, awesome. I haven't been there in a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, hit me up too if you're in here. 
if you come through. Yeah, definitely. Next time I'm there, I'm gonna I'm gonna be reaching out to you, man. You have to show me. You have to make me a map of all the street art in. <laughs> I'll, I'll make you a map of places to avoid. Okay, that's also that's even better. Probably a big, a big circle around Windwood, and just be like, "Don't go here." <laughs> I actually went there about three or four years ago, and no, I think it was about four years ago, and it was. You can see the divide. Like there's this, you can see how they were building all this stuff. I went into this really nice coffee shop, and then yeah. like the next block over, it was just like a totally different side of town. It was like really poor, yeah. like these bootleg shops, and I was like, wow, it's just right. Like you just step to the other side of the street, like literally. Yeah, it was weird, and I, I can't imagine what it looked like. Look, what it looks like now, it's just pretty much wild. more of that. Yeah. All right, man. So all the best, and uh, yeah, and we'll talk soon, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. We'll talk soon, and I, I'm gonna let you touch this. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna close this tab because okay. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to be responsible for like deleting the entire review, interview. I'll get it from this side. All, all right. right. Talk soon, man. All right. Bye.